0: This is Eric Corey, and welcome to A Different Story with Eric Corey. Now, we are in Season 3 of these podcasts, and I hope to keep providing these different stories well into the future. See, it's not that hard, really. All I do is just watch cable news or dial up any of the online news feeds. They're all serving up the same sophomore softballs. Just waiting for someone with a little different perspective to knock them out of the park. Now, the COVID crisis has brought us many things, mostly disaster, But it has also exposed our weakness in the way we look at, deal with, and understand healthcare. I mean, not just here in the U.S., but all over the world. This instant worldwide communication thing has been very instrumental in tracking this catastrophic event in real time. And that's something that no previous generation of humans has ever experienced. It's quite unique, really. Now, because we have this worldwide interconnection, everyone gets to be heard. There are so many people with so many opinions and so many facts based on so many differing experiences, especially as it pertains to the COVID crisis, keeping an accurate score is pretty much impossible. But now that we're two years into this thing, we have a much better understanding of not only how the virus moves, but on how dealing with such a tragedy can be used and abused. Now, I don't want to get into the politics of the whole thing. That would be a waste of time at this juncture. I'll just refer you to my COVID-19 podcast that was published in the summer of 2020 to illustrate how predictable all this politicking and absurdity really was. Let us instead focus on what we know for sure, and to do so without restricting our conclusions by trying to maintain political correctness. Now, I know you can never get away from the thought police, but what we can do is deal with facts that cannot be deemed as misinformation. But first, let me preface my pointed remarks by saying that I'm not blaming or shaming or otherwise demeaning anyone. I'm just speaking the harsh truth. And that harsh truth is that with very few exceptions, those who died from the COVID-19 virus were either over 75 years old or otherwise unhealthy. Now I can speak to this virus with firsthand experience. Now I contracted COVID from close contact to an asymptomatic person. I did not contract COVID-19 during the first wave of the virus. I only came down with it after getting vaccinated, which is a whole other podcast. Now, I instantly knew it wasn't just the flu when I came down with flu-like symptoms. I mean, I had a fever like I never had before. I thought my bed was going to catch on fire. I was so hot that first night. And I spent the next 24 hours in bed. Now, I'm over 60 and in reasonably good health. But that virus kicked my ass for the better part of a week. I coughed so much and so uncontrollably that I tore my retina. It became clear to me how, if you're old or sick or otherwise unhealthy, trying to recover from the COVID-19 virus would be a life-threatening event. After my experience, I had a completely different perspective on the virus and its impact on the world. I mean, no way could my body have recovered if I had any of the comorbidities that killed so many. I spoke to a few doctors about their experience with COVID patients, and they all said the same thing. The number one comorbidity was old age, closely followed by obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes, and other various respiratory ailments. Now, aside from the unavoidable old age thing, the other comorbidities were, for the most part, lifestyle-related. And here's where I get in trouble. But if cold honesty is ever needed, it's right here. So much of the death that is attributed to the coronavirus was due to the pre-COVID condition of the deceased. And again, aside from the old age thing, the people who died from contracting COVID did not have the ability to fight the virus because of a pre-existing condition that, in most cases, was a result of an unhealthy lifestyle. Smoking and drinking, unhealthy eating, a sedentary life, were all, by far, the greatest factors to the COVID-related deaths. Now, I've heard all the arguments about disadvantaged people and their inability to access healthy foods. There's not much I can do or say about that. It's just way out of my control. But that should not stop me or anyone from pointing out that our own health is in our own hands. No one can stop anyone from smoking or drinking in excess or eating unhealthy foods, and no one can compel anyone to do better. This is strictly a matter of self-respect and self-preservation. So I'm going to put all that aside. It's not for me to tell anyone how to live their lives any more than I will allow anyone to tell me how I should live mine. It's just that I don't want to hear anyone telling me about the death rates of COVID-19 virus patients and blaming on any government or the Chinese or the president. Now, that would be misinformation. Instead, I'm going to focus on the cure. Now, not the cure for COVID, but the cure for all the unhealthy lifestyles that were none of my business. Now, most people feel that this should be a function of government. And while I fervently disagree with that position... Since our government has made it their business by imposing their rules on my health care options, it's now fair game to comment on the matter. Let me take you back to 1993, when the U.S. government first introduced its attempt at nationalizing health care. It was called the Health Security Act, also known as Hillary Care. Now, this 1,342 page document was government's first attempt to provide universal health care coverage for all Americans. By mandating that, among other things, all employers must provide health care coverage for their full-time employees, that all Americans must obtain health insurance or be fined, and that the state would sanction and regulate all health insurance plans by creating a national health board to oversee it all. And it was only because the Clinton White House did not have a compliant Senate that this bill never, ever came up for vote. But that all changed in 2010 when the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, was introduced. Now, by this time, that same legislation had grown to 11,000 pages of regulation and rules or laws that would be enacted, all in the name of providing a national health care system. Now, if you remember back then, one of the biggest arguments in favor of creating such a monster bureaucracy was that 30 million people were uninsured. In a nation as profitable as ours, those 30 million underserved people needed government help. Now, the kind of government help that would then compel the other 310 million who did have insurance to get folded into a government-controlled system. Now, what could go wrong there, right? Now, this bill received much better treatment due to a complying Congress that was dominated by Democrats, and the bill eventually became law. But there was no debate. There was no national conversation. There was no open discussions on the specifics of this landmark piece of legislation and no bipartisan support, not a single vote. It was shoved down the throats of all Americans, even though half of the country was in complete and total opposition to such a plan. It was only because the Democrats had the votes and didn't need a single Republican to agree. Now, I'm going to step back here just a little to vent my frustration about how all that went down. Now, when Barack Obama was elected, it was, for the most part, a decisive win. Sixty plus million Americans voted for this guy and the resulting majority of Americans ready for something new and exciting gave this man and the Democrats an unstoppable majority by owning the White House and both branches of Congress. Now, this new president and his complying Congress could have done anything, anything they wished. They had the votes, that shiny new popular president and a national mandate that hoped for change. Now, Barack Obama made many campaign promises. I remember because I wrote him down. I was hoping he would keep those promises made in exchange for my vote. He promised, among other things, and I quote, If elected, I will end the war in Afghanistan within the first nine months of my term. He said, quote, I will bridge the gap between black and white. He said, quote, I will restore trust in government. Quote, I will have the most transparent administration in history. He also said, Quote, the public will have five days to look at every bill that lands on my desk. And finally, my favorite, and I quote, I will cut the deficit in half my first term. Now, that last one was the one I really cared about. He garnered so many votes because of that one promise. And if he had kept that one promise, just that one, my car would have been covered with so many Barack Obama bumper stickers that it would be undrivable. Now, much to my dismay, and I would guess to the dismay of many Americans who voted for the guy, none of those promises were ever kept. I mean, did he just say those things to get elected? I mean, did he ever intend to keep any of those promises? I can't say. All I know is that nobody seems to care. So what did he do with all that political capital? What was the one thing that he put all that money on the table to make happen? Well, it certainly wasn't cutting the deficit in half, even though he had the votes on both sides of the political aisle to do so nor did he end the war in Afghanistan or give the public five days to look at every bill that landed on his desk. No. What he did with all that capital was to throw it all behind a gargantuan bill that amounted to a complete governmental takeover of the entire healthcare care industry. It was a constitutional overreach, much of which would eventually be struck down to the courts. With such a unique and truly historic opportunity to make real, positive change, it was instead squandered on the one thing that would divide our country for years to come, a division that lives on today. This decision, by one of the most popularly elected presidents in a generation, has been by any measure an unmitigated catastrophe, made all the worse by more false promises. I will never forget, nor forgive the man who proclaimed for months ahead of its passage that this bill would, and I quote, save the average American family $2,500 per year in insurance premiums. We all know he further promised that, quote, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your plan, you can keep your plan. And worst of all, he said, and I quote, I will not sign any health care bill that adds one dime to our deficit. Not now, not ever. All of these flagrant lies spoken by the leader of the free world time and again to an adoring public who wanted so much to believe him. And not just in the support of some minor legislation or a trivial issue. This was a monstrous piece of legislation that would affect every single American for the rest of their lives. And it was all a lie. Now, was this just an elaborate, planned deception? Or was he just too dumb to know the truth? Either way, for this... I will never forgive the man, nor will I forgive anyone who thinks this guy was presidential material and voted to give him a second term. I don't care how smart you think you are or how right you think you are. If you can turn a blind eye to this level of deception coming from the highest office of the land to promote the single largest piece of legislation in your lifetime, you have no credibility. This was the single greatest fraud ever perpetrated on the American people by its own president. And it will go down in history as the greatest lie ever told. Because with very few exceptions, health insurance premiums rose nearly 300%. And of course, no one was able to keep their doctor. No one was able to keep their plan if they signed up for Obamacare. And the only ones who profited, and profited greatly, were the executives in the healthcare industry and the politicians that made it all happen. The people be damned. Now, I can take the remainder of this 15-minute podcast to tell you how a nationally-run healthcare system is really just a power grab to control the masses through the control of their healthcare and, by extension, their bodies and their lives. But that will be a waste of time and will only serve to piss you off even more. Now, like all of my podcasts, my goal is to provide a positive message that does not feed into the right versus left world that otherwise dominates our national conversation. I would instead like to propose a solution. A solution so obvious that I'm sure it's been proposed elsewhere. And if it has, my apologies to those who thought of it first. I just haven't heard this described anywhere else. It's my different story. In short, imagine a health care system that operates much like auto insurance. A system that is available nationwide regardless of where you live. A health insurance program that is tailored to your own personal needs and history and not this one-size-fits-all insurance that is Obamacare. A system whose premiums are based on how well you take care of yourself and how old you are, much like uh, auto insurance premiums are based on the value of your car and how well you drive. The healthier you are, the less you'll pay. Conversely, the worse your care and health, the higher your premium. Now, before you give me all the pre-programmed arguments against such a proposal, allow me to describe how this approach to healthcare will not only provide low-cost, personalized health care plans, but will also work to vastly improve the health Of every American. It's social engineering at its finest. You see, like everything else we buy, we want it cheaper and better. And the best way to get new insurance, health insurance cheaper and better, is to take better care of yourself. See, money always drives people. And if getting in better shape or eating better or exercising more and living a healthier lifestyle saves money, well, there is no better naturally imposed incentive than this to create a healthier nation. Sure, go ahead. Mandate that everyone must have health insurance. But it must be open to the free marketplace and allow the countless variations of coverage provided by companies nationwide who will be competing for the 330 million potential customers. Companies competing for this windfall of clients will create programs to get people healthier as part of their coverage. I mean, things like offering a free gym membership as part of their coverage or setting goals that, if met, will lead to lower premiums and better coverage. And that's just the stuff I can think of off the top of my head. When you give the free marketplace the incentive, there is no limit to the innovation that will follow. Innovation that will create a healthcare industry that tailors plans based on improving the health of the insuree. Creating financial incentives to policyholders that not only saves them money, but improves their health instead of this current system that overcharges for just treating the symptoms. As an example, I myself would opt for a plan that offers coverage for a predetermined list of catastrophic illnesses only. I'll take care of my health on my own, and I'll pay less. And if I get a cold or break an arm, I'm on my own to pay for that repair, just like I did when I tore my retina. And instead of paying $600 per month for health care that I rarely use, I'll pay $100 a month in case I get something more severe. And I'll use the $6,000 a year that I'll save for the broken bone or the damaged eye. Because really, how often do you break a bone or tear your retina? Whatever the case, I know once the free market, if allowed to offer a diversity of plans tailored to the diversity of the health coverage of a diversity of Americans, the innovation will explode, costs will come down, coverage will get better, and we all get healthier. Now, in conclusion, allow me to apologize for my partisan rant about the passage of the Obamacare plan. But the unavoidable truth is that it was never about making healthcare more affordable and more effective. It was always about controlling the masses and enriching the people on the inside. And for those of you who did believe that it was about making healthcare more affordable and more effective, please, take a moment to reflect on the reality that is now staring you in the face. It was never going to work, and the people who pushed it knew it. It never made any sense. And now that we have a 12-year history of that, we can all see how destructive it really was. See, I don't purport to have all the answers. I just know the wrong ones when I see them. This is Eric Corey, and thank you once again for taking the time to listen to my podcast.